Today on Awaken to Grace, we are studying what the Bible calls the shepherd's crown. This is the unfading crown of glory found in 1 Peter chapter 5. My name is Chad Roberts, and I'm your Bible teacher today, and we're going to dive deep into 1 Peter 5. We are going to see exactly what Scripture says about we as God's people, why we are called the flock of God, why we are the sheep of God, and more importantly, why Christ is our chief shepherd. I hope you're enjoying our study on the crowns identified in the Scriptures. Today we come to this wonderful crown called the unfading crown of glory, the shepherd's crown today on Awakened to Grace. Well, today I want us to look at what the scriptures call the shepherd's crown, the crown of glory, what the scriptures call the unfading crown Let's understand some of that today. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter is going to write to the suffering church. These believers have been in exile. They are persecuted for their faith. They're enduring great hardships. And throughout the entire letter, Peter has been encouraging the saints. He has been saying some, if you are going through the struggle of your life right now, read 1 Peter 1. Oh, how it will help you. And he's writing to people that are suffering. He's writing to people that are struggling. And when he gets to chapter 5, he's going to give some very specific words to the church. He's going to give some specific words to church leaders, to pastors, and those of us that we are uh, charged with caring, with managing, with stewarding, the church of Jesus Christ. And then he's going to give some unbelievable instruction to the actual church itself. And I want us to pay attention to both today. I want you to look at me, verse number, look with me, verse number one. Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you. I want you to note that word exhort right there. In the Greek, it is a beautiful meaning. It literally means to call alongside. Oh, how I love that. Let me tell you something. When we first started this church, oh, how I felt so alone. And I felt we, just, we, we only had a few people. And when I say a few, I don't exaggerate. I mean, you know, Sunday mornings would be eight. Sunday mornings would be 10 people. Sunday mornings, we would grow to 12. We'd bump up to 20. We would hit 30, and we'd fall back down to 15. I mean, it was hard, and it was so tough. And it took several years before we were able to grow to the point where the Lord gave us deacons, and the Lord gave us elders, and the Lord gave us other shepherds and other pastors. And I used to feel so alone in the work of the ministry And now I look around and you would not believe the quality of the health of the leadership of this church. You would not believe the the strength of the leadership that God has given this body. Can we say amen to that today? 
And he says, I exhort the elders among you. That word exhort means to call alongside. Let me tell you, God doesn't want ministry done by lone rangers. He wants us arm in arm. One of the images that Paul gives to Timothy is that the church should march forward, locked, arm to arm. We're not in this thing alone. Amen. Let me tell you what used to drive me nuts, and I don't hear it anymore. But let me tell you, when we were a a much smaller church and we were struggling to get going, I would hear people in my church and throughout the community, I'd always hear people say, Chad's church. Oh, that drive me nuts. Chad's church. If you ever catch yourself and you say, Chad's church, stop yourself right there and go, no, it's the Lord's church. Amen. It's not my church. And we're called to do it together. We're called to serve together. Amen. The word exhort means come alongside. That's why I love next steps. Because when people go through our next steps, you know what we're doing? We're asking you, what skill sets has God given you? What abilities do you have? What interests do you have? What spiritual gifts do you have? What natural talents do you have? Take what God has given you and come alongside the work of the ministry. Amen? Amen. Don't be a consumer. Be a contributor. Don't be a spectator. Become a participator. Notice what Peter says. So I exhort the elders among you. He's going to have a word to say to the leaders. And he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. I appreciate that. Peter could have said, I'm the chief among you all. I'm above you all. I was personal friends with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't say that, did he? Look at the humility. In a minute, Paul, in a minute, Peter's going to write about humility. He's going to instruct me. He's going to instruct you in humility. And I want you to note it right off the bat. He doesn't say, I exhort the elders as the chief elder, as the most popular elder, as the most meaningful. He says, as a fellow. This reminds me of Paul. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians. I'm a fellow laborer. It reminds me of John in Revelation chapter 1. He says, I am a fellow sufferer. Hmm. So Peter says, as a fellow elder, as a witness to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, as a partaker of the glory that is to come. What do you suppose Peter meant by that? I think he meant, the Mount of Transfiguration. I think the experience that he had with Jesus when he saw the glory that will be revealed. I think that's exactly what he meant. So verse number two, he's going to give some charge to those responsible. As a matter of fact, you know, it amazes me because we plan our sermons weeks, if not months in advance. Oh, let me remind you, will you mark your calendar for March 5th? Everybody say March 5th. Do you know what March 5th is? It's the launch of our new series, Hebrews, an anchor for the soul. I personally have spent months in Hebrews. This week, I read it through in its entirety twice. 
just sitting down, just soaking, just listening, just taking it in. Everybody that knows about it has been asking me, Chad, how long are we going to be in the book of Hebrews? I have no idea. But I have one goal in the book of Hebrews. That is to go through verse by verse and leave no stone left unturned. We're going to explore it. Amen. And hanker for the soul. March 5th. But my point is we line these sermons up as we feel the leading of the Holy Spirit. And often I don't know all the implications. I just feel the direction of the Holy Spirit and we build our sermon calendar and we know typically weeks and months in advance where we're going. And you know what just so happens today, just so happens we have an elder meeting right after the service. We have nine elders in our church, and our elder meeting is this. So I know y'all are here because we have the elder meeting. So we should listen. Good. Amen. Now, let me share just a moment on this, and then I want to get into the instruction to the church. So look what he tells elders. Shepherd the flock among you. Oh, I love that phrase. Some versions would say feed the flock among you, but... I think the best translation there is shepherd because that's the whole task of shepherding God's people. Shepherd the flock among you. Now, this is so meaningful to me. You, you, you know what happens to pastors? Um, people, I don't care who you are. I don't care what church you have. I don't care if Billy Graham were the pastor. People leave churches. That's the nature of it. And do you know how hard it is for a pastor not to take it personal when someone leaves? It can be so difficult. I remember one time many years ago, the Lord had to help me with this. A family that I loved so much left the church. And they came to me privately and they said, Chad, there is not a thing wrong with you. We love your preaching. We love this church. But we feel the Lord telling us that it's time, our time is done here. It hurt my feelings so bad. And I tried not to let it hurt my feelings. Oh, but it did. Oh, I was such a sad little shepherd. Everybody say, oh, oh. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me with this. And you know what the Holy Spirit told me? The Holy Spirit said, he said, Chad, do you think I'm calling more people to your church? Oh, that got me excited. Oh, yes. He said, Chad, do you think I'm going to bring people to your church that were in other fellowships, other churches, and I'm going to call them here? Yeah. Then the Lord said, then don't be shocked when I call people out of yours. And then the Lord said, they're not your sheep. They're mine. I'm the chief shepherd. Lord, ever speak to you in a way that you just go, Yes, sir. <laughs> Amen to it. And it helped me. And you know what's helped me through the years as people so often will come and go? What's helped me through the years is this phrase, shepherd the flock among you. Don't worry about who goes. Don't worry about who leaves. Don't worry about who God sends somewhere else. Don't worry about that. He's the chief shepherd. You worry about who's among you. And you give your attention to those who are in your care and those who are among you. Amen?
It's just helped me through the years. So look what he says. He says, don't do it out of compulsion or don't do it out of shameful gain. The old King James says for filthy lucre. That means for money, for compensation. It's not wrong for a church to pay its pastor, but it is extremely wrong for a pastor to only do it for money. And the fact is, those of us who are in full-time ministry, we will give an account when our chief shepherd appears. We can disqualify ourselves if we do it solely as a job. If we do it only for gain. If we do it because it's a paycheck. If we do it because it's our income only. The Lord, listen, we will forfeit the eternal crown of glory that will never fade away. Let me tell you, I would not trade an unfading crown of glory for some U.S. funny money, dollar bills. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Amen? But we can fall into that snare. We can fall into that trap. So Peter's going to help the church. And he's saying, listen, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a witness to the sufferings of Jesus. I'm a partaker of the glory that is to come. See, all this scripture. Do I love to study the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept. When you just go verse by verse, it all stacks. It all makes sense. In a moment, he's going to talk about the crown of what? Glory that never fades away. And what's he say in verse 1? I'm a partaker in the coming glory of God. I wouldn't trade the coming glory of God for shameful gain, for filthy lucre, for a little bit of money. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And you see how Peter just gets our eyes focused on the right thing. So verse 2. Don't have the wrong motives. See, what are the crowns about? What are eternal rewards about? It's not about salvation. It's about inheritance. It's not about whether you belong to the Lord. It's about what is your eternity going to be? Because while everyone who is born again will enjoy God and will enjoy eternal life for all of eternity, not every believer is going to have the identical experience. Some will have a greater capacity for greater joy and for greater authority and for the things, all the things that heaven holds. Whereas other people who only live for this world, who only live for the temporal, they'll have a less of a capacity for those eternal things. People's experiences in heaven will not be identical. That's the point of the doctrine of rewards. And Peter's telling those of us who are called to steward the house of God, you better be careful how you do it. Let me tell you, on Judgment Day, if, you're, if you see two lines and one line is preachers, I'd get in the other line because it's going to take a long time because there's going to be a lot to give account for, a lot. And we must be careful how we shepherd, how we steward, how we manage the house of God. Verse number three, he's going to continue talking to leaders. He's going to say, not domineering, but being examples of the flock. There's some of you that you come out of spiritual abuse. There's some of you who have had pastors who are not good shepherds to you. There's some watching online today. There's some listening online today that you're not in a local church today because a pastor hurt you. I'm sorry for that. 
But I would encourage you, child of God, take your eyes off of the mistakes of that shepherd and put your eyes, verse 4, on the chief shepherd who is the good shepherd, who is the great shepherd. Amen? We must be careful. So verse number four, look with me. He says, but when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, the unfading crown of glory. This is an eternal crown. It's never going to fade away. You know, as we look at these aspects of eternity, a crown of what? Righteousness. Our eternity is going to be righteous. As we look at the crown of rejoicing. We're going to rejoice for all of eternity. When we look at the crown of life, friends, heaven is all about eternal life. There's the water of life, the river of life, the tree of life, the book of life. Anyone hearing a theme? And the crown of life. Amen. Eternity is going to be, for those born again, about eternal life. And here we see the crown of glory. And what are all of these aspects of eternity representing? It's all imperishable. It's all never going to fade away. You're never going to lose it. No one can rob you of it. No one can steal it from you. But friends, be clear in the word of God. You can forfeit it by not running your race well. Today, in all of my work as a shepherd, I can forfeit this precious crown if my motives are wrong. Let's inventory those. Now, Peter's going to shift gears, being led by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to watch what the Spirit's going to have to say to us. Now, beginning in verse 5, he's going to say, Now, likewise, so while he's shifting gears, he's still in the same frame of thinking. Watch how the scriptures stack on each other. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. I think that's not only in natural age, because scripture says it's the older men of the church that should invest in the younger men. It's the older women of the church that should teach the younger women. We should teach how to do family. Amen. We should teach how to do marriage. We should teach how to parent children. We ought to be, listen, those of you that you've done walk this road and, and all that, listen, you, you ought to be investing in people underneath you, that you're investing in them and you're telling them, hey, you're going to make it. We made it and you're going to make it. I didn't strangle my kids and you're not going to strangle yours. <laughs> I've always heard grandchildren is God's prize for you not killing yours while they were growing up. So he says... Likewise, because again, we're, we're, we're going to get into humility. Look what he says. Likewise, let the younger be subject to the elder. I'm telling you, those of you that are seasoned in life, you have more to offer young believers than you could ever imagine. And you go, oh, but I don't know a lot of scripture and I'm not real good on... Do-. No, I'm saying what you've went through, what God has helped you with, you ought to be giving to others. Well, I'm going to talk about it tonight in our leadership development session. I'm going to talk about it tonight. I'm not responsible for filling other people's cups. It's a quote by Andy Stanley. But I am responsible for emptying mine. So let the 
younger, be subject to the elders. And look what he says. This is so good. And clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Now, friends, don't miss this. What instruction by Peter? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Younger and older, whether you're a leader or you're a follower, it don't matter who you are, all of you, clothe yourself with humility. You know what I love about I, th- I thought about myself getting dressed this morning. I did not sleep in this last night. I hope it doesn't look like I did. I can't see it. If it does, I apologize. And I have on this beautiful lavender shirt today. And these khaki pants. I'm just kidding. I don't think so. I think it's black, right? Yes? Okay. When Sadie asked me last night, what would you like to wear in the morning? I said, eh, it's going to be cold. I'll wear, my, I'll, I'll wear that black sweater. I like that. It's comfortable. When you got up this morning, you had to do, what did you have to do to put your clothes on? You had to pick something out, didn't you? You had to choose it. You had to select it. You had to prepare it. You had to wash it. You had to iron it. You had to get it ready. You had to think about it. In other words, it was what you are wearing right now is intentional and deliberate, right or wrong. Peter's saying you got to do that with humility. What do you mean? It doesn't just happen automatically? No. You mean it's just not built in? No. You mean I just don't get it by osmosis? No. You have got to be deliberate and say, I'm going to crucify my flesh. I'm going to crucify my pride. I'm going to crucify my feelings. Amen. And I'm going to clothe myself with Christ's humility. I have to choose it. I have to be intentional about it. In times that people hurt me, times that I sidestep, Times that I misstep, times that I mess up. Anybody ever mess up? Times that I make mistakes, times that I have to repent, times that I have to apologize, times that I come in to misstep, whatever. Listen, I need to deliberately, like I put on my black sweater today, I need to clothe myself in the humility of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you do it with your spouse? Do you do it with your children? Do you ever apologize to your children? Or do you provoke them to anger? Do you ever apologize to your spouse? Or do you fight to the death to win the argument? The word of the Lord to you today. Clothe ourselves with humility. What would it do? to the most important relationships in our life if we deliberately, intentionally put on humility. Amen, Chad. Boy, you're on it today. Amen. (laughs) Why? Why is humility so important? Because look what it says. Because God opposes the proud. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Do you know why so many of us cannot see our pride? Because a fish doesn't realize it's wet. Because the only thing a fish knows is water. Often you and I do not see our pride because all we know is pride and arrogance. That's why you and I have to learn to pray what Celebrate Recovery is studying right now, what Daniel's teaching right now. You and I have to learn how to pray Psalm 139. Search me, oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me. And when the Holy Spirit shines that light and we see that pride and we see that sin and we see that arrogance, then what are we to do? Clothe ourselves in the humility of Jesus. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Cross-reference that, James 4, 6. It's the exact same echo. It's two different human authors, but it's the same Holy Spirit author. And that's why it echoes. Amen. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Help me out. What, what's the next verse, please? Oh, Peter's not done. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Is that verse 6? Humble yourselves. Therefore, see, there's the conclusion. Therefore, humble yourself. Why? Because God opposes the proud. So humble. Yeah, in your marriage, humble yourself. At work, humble yourself. In your relationships with others, humble yourself. Why? Because They're right and you're wrong because you're wrong and they're right. No, because God opposes pride. That's why I reject it. So therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. Amen. I want God's hand on me. And if you're someone like me, you know, it always stands out to me. The scripture in Acts Perhaps chapter 12, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 13. When it says that the brothers went to Antioch and they founded the church at Antioch, it it always jumps out at me. It says, it don't tell us who the brothers are. It, It doesn't give their names. Can't wait to find out who they are in heaven. But it says the hand of the Lord was upon them. For years, I've prayed that. I've prayed, God, put your hand on me. God, I want your hand on me more than I want anything in life. I want the hand of God on me. And this text tells me how it happens. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God cannot put his hand on me unless I'm willing to get down under it. Humble me. Why? Because God opposes pride. Verse Number seven, so the natural outcome of this is if I realize I must clothe myself in humility, I have to do it intentionally, i got to do it deliberately. It's not a spiritual gift that's just inside me. (laughs) I don't get it because I come to church. 
I don't get it because I love Jesus. I don't get it because I'm born again. I have got to choose to humble myself. It is a daily choice. Do you put clothes on daily? Most of you. (laughs) I think if I put clothing on daily, I don't think it is an out-of-bounds demand for God to say, Chad, clothe yourself in humility daily. Make sense? God's not asking too much, is he? So I, I challenge you. This week, every day this week, when you're putting your clothes on and you're beginning your day, say, Lord, with this, I choose humility. I choose humility. Help me to treat my spouse in a humble way. Help me to parent my children in a humble way. Help me to go to work with a spirit of humility. Amen. What's scripture? All right, well, let's move on. Uh, Where am I? Verse, oh, seven. So watch the natural outcome. Casting all your anxieties upon him. Because he cares for you. This is going to bring peace into your life. The more humility you embrace, the more peace you will enjoy. Somebody ought to tweet that. The more humility you embrace, the more you choose, the more you allow in, the more peace you're going to enjoy. Casting all your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. You know, it takes humility to give your burdens to the Lord. It takes vulnerability to trust God to work the things out that you can't. Hmm. Verse number 8. Now say amen if you're with me right now. Let me give some explanation of this and then we'll begin our descent and we'll land the flight. I thank you for choosing Preaching Christ Church. You may put your trays in their upright positions. Be so funny if Pastor Eric just did a did a uh, an airplane ding. You know how it dings when you've reached your altitude. <laughs> Anyways, now watch what he's going to say. All right, say Amen if you're with me, because I want to teach this. I want to teach this. So, verse number eight. Now, what has he just been saying, Church? We are a flock. Right? We are sheep. I was listening to a pastor the other day, and he was sharing uh, an article that he read that was so intriguing. He said that scientists have really, really discovered and explained just how brilliant sheep really are. They are a brilliant animal. And he said, you know, for centuries, pastors have preached that sheep are dumb. Right? And what are we? We are all like sheep have gone astray. We are God's sheep. We are God's flock. And sheep are dumb. But in reality, they're quite brilliant. But this scientific article noted this. Sheep are only dumb when they get scared. And the problem with sheep is that they're scared of everything. And they're afraid all the time. 
Isn't that a lot like our lives? Do we not make our dumbest decisions when we're afraid? Don't we do the most stupid things when we get scared? We are sheep. So get the image in your mind. God sees us as his flock. God sees us as his sheep. And he is the chief shepherd. So what is he going to warn now? Be sober, verse 8. Be watchful, verse 8. For your adversary, the devil, walks about, prowls about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Can you see the train of thought the Holy Spirit is on? Sheep, flock, shepherd, a roaring lion wanting to devour the sheep. So let's watch what he says. Let's pick this apart for it. Let's unturn every stone for a moment. He says, be sober. Be sober-minded. Be serious. Are you serious about your faith today? Are you serious about the things of God? Are you serious about your life aligning to, to godliness? Are you serious about these things? Be sober, be watchful. You know, I love that word watchful because do you know what a shepherd is? A shepherd is watchful. He watches over the sheep. When I was studying this, when I was thinking on it, the Lord just gave me a word for our parents. Parents, you and I are to shepherd our children. Are we watchful over them? Are we watchful? Over their souls. Be sober. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary. Boy, the Lord spoke to me this morning in that. Your adversary. Your adversary. Everyone say adversary. Your adversary. The Holy Spirit told me to tell you, your spouse is not your adversary. That person you have conflict at work with is not your adversary. There is not one person in this church that is your adversary. There's not one person in politics that is your adversary. There is not one human that is your adversary. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness, against spiritual darkness. Amen. And do you know who knew this better than anyone on planet earth? Peter, who being the dumb little sheep that he was. Do you remember? Jesus comes to his disciples and Jesus says, Others say I'm Elijah. Others say I'm this... But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, thou art the Christ. You remember that? And Jesus looks at him and Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The spirit of God has revealed it. And do you know what happened to Peter? Oh, that little sheep. His head grew so big, he couldn't fit through a door frame without turning sideways. And when Jesus, in the same section, Jesus says, now 
I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to have to die. You know what the dumb little sheep does? He goes, no, you're not. As though the sheep knows better than the shepherd. And he goes, no, you're not. As a matter of fact, I get the visual in my mind. I just picture all the disciples talk, say, Jerusalem, he, they're going to kill him. And he's saying he's, he's going to die. He's going to let it. This makes no sense. And I picture Peter going, boys, let me in the spirit deal with this. <clears throat> Jesus, a word, please. That's just what I picture. Jesus, let's have a word. Uh I've been thinking about this whole Jerusalem thing, and uh, it's not a good idea. And do you remember what Jesus said to that dumb little sheep? Satan, get thee behind me. Oh, to have seen Simon Peter's face. I would have loved to have seen his face. Was Jesus calling Peter Satan? No. He was calling the influence Satan. So the next time you and your spouse get into an argument, say, Satan, get... No, don't do that. I already do too much counseling. We cannot... No, no. (laughs) But seriously, can you see Jesus understood this is not flesh and blood. This is that influence. And he said, Satan, get behind me. Do you have that ability to do that in your life? To not hate the people you're supposed to love? To not come against the people you're called to love. But when you see that influence of the enemy working, to call that out. Peter, who Jesus... (laughs) Peter knew what he was saying. And the young whippersnapper, dumb little sheep back then, Decades later, he's grown into a very, very wise shepherd. And what does he tell us, the sheep? You have an adversary. Oh, he learned his lesson well from Jesus, didn't he? You have an adversary. A lot of your marriage problems would clear up if you realized who the enemy is. A lot of your work issues would clarify if you really realized who your adversary is. A lot of the hurt feelings, a lot of the traumatic things you face and you feel, a lot of the identity issues that you face, a lot of things would clarify if you would realize who your adversary really is. And what is he? Peter says he prowls about like a roaring lion. Why do you suppose he uses the word roaring? You know, they tell us that a lion's roar 
can be heard up to five miles away. Look it up. Google the intensity of a lion's roar. And you know what happens when a, when a lion sees a small prey? See, what, what, the reason he says prowls like a roaring lion. Why did he not say pounces like a lion? Because you know what happens when a lion gets older? It can't pounce like it once did. So you know what an old age lion will do? It relies on its roar. And you can picture a small prey near its path. And that lion will roar with an intensity that it will paralyze it. Its prey literally paralyzes with fear. And that old lion can slowly prowl about it and devour it. Some of you are right there, right now in life. You're paralyzed with fear. Satan has scared you. What do you do? This is where we begin to land the plane. Verse number nine. Resist him. You want to know how to do spiritual warfare? You resist the devil. What did we say? The Bible has the same author, the Holy Spirit. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, gives more grace to the humble. Verse 5 of, J of 1 Peter 5, God opposes the proud, gives more grace to the humble. Verse number 9, where we are in 1 Peter 5, resist him. What does James 4, 7 say? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why does it echo? It's the same author. Amen. Resist him. But how? Do you resist him in your reasoning? No. Do you resist him in your intellect? No. Do you resist him in your own strength? No. How do you resist him? Firm in your faith. Hallelujah. And I, and I want to tell you, precious flock, <laughs> friends, I want to tell you, I want to tell you as pastorally, I want to tell you with the shepherd's heart that God has given me for you. I'm just going to, I want to tell you as honestly and bluntly as I can. Many of you are not firm in your faith. You're not firm. You're not strong in faith. You're not. And until you get firm in your faith, you'll never be able to resist that lion prowling about your family. The answer is to become strong. The answer is to become firm in your faith. You say, Chad, how do I do that? Get the word of God within you. 1 John 2 says you are strong because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. How are you strong? Because the word of God abides in you. Pure and simple. Resist him. How? Firm in your faith. And today, if you say, Chad, you are preaching to me. I want to be firm in my faith. I don't know how to do that. Chad, give me the path of how. Chad, how do I get firm in my faith? Look at the next verse. Look at what verse 10 says. For the God of all grace. Let me tell you something. You're not firm in your faith today. God's not angry at you. God's not mad at you today. He wants more for you. He wants an eternal of glory for you. He wants an eternal of life for you. He wants an eternity of righteousness for you. He wants an eternity of rejoicing for you. He's not angry at you. He wants more for you. 
And look at it, verse 10. And the God of all grace will himself. You see that? Why does it not say, and your pastor will do this? Because he's the chief shepherd. I'm simply an under-shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd. And God himself will do what? Restore you. Confirm you. Strengthen you. Establish you. Amen. Do you see it, church? God himself will work in your life when you look to the chief shepherd. When you deliberately choose to clothe yourself with humility. When you become sober-minded. When you become watchful. When you learn that your adversary is no other flesh and blood. It is the devil. And when you learn how to resist him. Firm in your faith. And yes, God will work in your life. But then, just to seal the deal, what does the Holy Spirit do? After you think, God would do this for me. Establish me, strengthen me, confirm me, restore me. God's going to do all that for me. Yes, but you are not the center. I am not the center. It's then like the Holy Spirit just takes He just lifts our heads and he puts our eyes on Jesus because look at verse 11. Now to him, who? Verse four, the chief shepherd. Verse 10, God himself. Verse 11, now to him be dominion. Not to you, not to me. Not to any elder, not to any under shepherd, not to any leader not to ourselves to the chief shepherd be dominion forever and ever amen why forever and ever because friends the bible is to prepare you for eternity it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for your last day because eternity awaits you bow our heads it's no wonder Peter when Jesus said are you going to leave me are you going to follow others and do you remember what Peter told Jesus that little sheep That little sheep who one day was going to become a shepherd himself. That little sheep told Jesus, where would we go? For only you have the words of eternal life. And what you and I have read today, what we have studied today, truly are words of eternal life. Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. 
Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.